Welcome to this week's edition of Good Books Radio. Audiobooks.com is the chief underwriter for Good Books Radio, which is produced by UTRGV Media Services for Rio Grande Valley Public Radio. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Cook. Welcome once again to another edition of Good Books Radio. I'm your host, Dr. John Cook. Good Books Radio is a production of University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. It's a public service to the community and public radio. With me today is Calliope Barlis. She is the author of a book called Phobia Relief, From Fear to Freedom. Ms. Barlis, welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me, John. It's a pleasure. I see that you have 20 years' experience with this technology, neuro-linguistic programming. You actually trained with Dr. Richard Bandler, who wrote uh, several books on the topic. Um, And you have a school in New York City, and you have a private practice and do some keynote speaking. So you're well qualified to talk about this subject of the NLP as a technology for phobia relief. Well, you know, I just love this stuff because I started using it when I was golfing as a pro golfer, uh, unbeknownst to me, because that's what my coach was using with me so that I could improve my game. Uh, And when I realized that wasn't my calling anymore, I just decided to start using this stuff uh, for the well-being of people. Mm -hmm. So um, let's start with uh, fear and phobia and what that is, because fears are really thoughts, are they not? Uh, well, uh, some fears are very real, mm-hmm. and we need to fear them in order to maintain our safety. But then there are other fears that are completely irrational, unreasonable, and obsessive that prevent us from living our life. And so those are the ones that I help people overcome uh, so that they stop wasting time in fear and start living the life that they want with their families, uh, in their professions, and everything else they do. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's interesting to me. You, you mentioned in the book that uh, uh, the only instinctive fears are fear of falling and fear of loud noises. Um, well, apparently, that the, yeah, they've proven that we're only born with two fears: mm-hmm. uh, the fear of falling, like you said, and the fear of loud noises, and the rest are learned, which means they can be unlearned. Mm-hmm. They can be changed inside of our minds. Because too often it's the idea of something that people fear instead of what they actually fear. Like there doesn't even have to be a snake or spider in the room, but they'll jump even just by thinking about it. Um, And so it's really this thought process that's scaring the heck out of them instead of what they're really afraid about. Mm -hmm. So whether there's the presence of whatever I fear or not, I can still have thoughts that generate a fear or a phobia. Uh, that's right. I mean, you know, th- there are certain fears that I have people keep because it's important to be fearful of a poisonous snake. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to a party where there's a handler with a snake and you're meant to be having fun, well, why not join in on the fun? Mm-hmm. Very good. And, and that's why I wrote the book Phobia Relief from Fear to Freedom. Um, it actually goes through a step-by-step process that Dr. Richard Bandler came up. And, uh, by the way, we're working on a book together to overcome bad memories now. And okay. uh, hoping to get that out as soon as possible so that um, people who have the bad memories can start building in their best life. That, that's great. and look forward to that. Um, uh, one of the things you mentioned early in the book is when people talk about having a fear, uh, you, you want to get them to laugh about that, that laughter creates a flexibility in the brain. Well, that's right. It creates neuroplasticity. And uh, what that does is make the 
person more uh, apt to to the change uh, because I, you know these skills that I use are so simple that people have a hard time believing they actually work because I take them through their pro- this process where uh, you know most of the time when people fear something that's irrational it's a huge picture inside their mind and what I do is just have them shrink it down blink it black and white really fast and then in that size have them reverse the memory of the most, either the first time they started fearing or the most dramatic time. Reverse that and blink that totally white. So that when you change the size of the thought, it changes how you feel. Mm-hmm. And I want you to sell me on that technology as we go through this uh, a little bit. I, I was trying to do it while I was reading this book on a bus, and I wasn't very successful. You mentioned that this is not really therapy, that NLP is a technology that helps people see, well, see how stupid they're behaving is one of the ways you put it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well that's true. I know, you know, my job is to educate people on how they're thinking about what they're thinking um, so that they can become, so that they be more in control of how they feel. Because let's put it this way, um, sitting on a bus and doing this may not be the ideal situation, to, environment to be doing it in. Mm-hmm. But if instead you do it in a, in a quiet place where you're alone and able to focus on your own thoughts um, and the size of it, and, you know, sometimes people say, well, I can't really see what I'm thinking. Well, if I ask you, what's in your living room? What, what are the, How many chairs do you have? What's the, what's the color of your carpet or the floor that you have? You're able to answer that. And you couldn't do that without creating some sort of picture of your living room inside mm. your head. Mm-hmm. You know, So sometimes it requires practice for some people. Um, but, but surely sitting in a, in a quiet place with no distractions would definitely help. Mm-hmm. You talk a little bit about dissociation. So say a word or two about that. Uh, sure. Well, you know, when when someone's associated uh, with an event, they usually don't see themselves in it when they recollect it. Versus dissociated, you can see yourself in the event. So if, if you're thinking of a wonderful time you had at a party um, and you see yourself at the party, um, it's very different from from just seeing the people around you. Mm-hmm. because you're seeing it through your own eyes. And so uh, the way it works with a bad memory is is that uh, when you see yourself going through it, then you're not as emotionally attached to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're looking at it from, let's say, a perspective of a friend. Mm-hmm. So we generally ask friends for advice sometimes, and that's only because they can see us through the experience that we're having. Mm-hmm. But when we can start doing that ourselves, then we're able to be our own best friend. Mm-hmm. You also uh, link fear to stress, that fears cause stress, and, and stress can be eliminated by shrinking your fears. Well, that's right. And, and um, you know, it's really those irrational fears that make people uh, start to breathe fast or sweat. And uh, one of the first things I do with people is just have them start breathing at a rate rhythmically. Uh, and consistently, because stress and anxiety, it, it really comes from not breathing. 
it's breathing in too much. Like when people are anxious, they go, they breathe in, they breathe in, they breathe in, but they never breathe out. So there's not enough room for the air. And suddenly there's a response by the body that it feels anxious because it, it feels like there's just too much air. There, there's nothing being let out. Mm-hmm. So when you start breathing rhythmically, the stress goes away. Mm-hmm. Another uh, mention in the book that, that really hit home for me is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at an age where I have medical evaluations periodically because it's just good to keep up. And my evaluations turn out pretty good, but I, I sometimes have a symptom. Of, oh, my gosh, am I getting that disease? Um, and even people with good medical evaluations sometimes have a fear of being sick. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, fortunately, it's a good idea to go to the doctor and get checked up just to make sure that you're maintaining your health. So in some aspect, that fear is a good thing because it motivates you to keep an eye on your own health so that if something does happen that goes off tilter, it kills, you know what to do to change it so that you get your body back into balance. But when people start, you know, imagining the worst, uh, um, it, it's not the most comfortable place to be. You know, if, if there's really nothing going on, medicine has proved that nothing is going on, your, your results come back fine, well, then why not, instead of worrying about it, why not start creating more pictures inside of your mind of staying that way mm-hmm. so that you can then, uh, you know, uh, give your body... Aim, aim your body in a direction where it will maintain its health. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay, as, as we get into this technology, the first thing you talk about is getting clear about your purpose in life, your passion, what you're living for. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, I find that sometimes, you know, people just make up a fear because they just can't deal with life. It just becomes too much. And, you know, sometimes life can be very challenging. I agree. But I haven't met a single person who never had a problem. And by very definition of a problem, every problem has a solution. Okay, that's the definition of it in the dictionary. And uh, uh, if you consider that and know that you can start living your life instead of wasting time in fear and start enjoying, you know, being a better spouse, being a cooler parent, uh, being a more motivated worker, that the more you train your, 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 your brain to feel pleasure in life, the more it will seek the pleasure instead of the fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something in here that I've heard in other places, and that is that some people say they fear failure, but rather fear of success is more likely. <laughs> right. Well, you know, you know, John, I think that it's been said that our brain, Virginia Satir uh, once said that, that, that our brain is designed to keep things familiar. And people are just out of practice in feeling really good most of the time. Uh, because let's put it this way, most things that people worry about never come true, right? And when you put yourself in a position where you start looking for the good stuff instead of what can go wrong, so that instead of looking for what doesn't go right, you can start looking for what can go in the right direction for you, then, then feeling good will become normal. And, and I, you, know, you know, I saw this in, in golf that when people shot a great shot and keep doing it consistently, Suddenly, feeling so good becomes scary. 
but to heck with it, you know? I mean, just enjoy whatever does go right. And, and the more you do, the more you want to have stuff be, be more successful in your life. Mm-hmm. I want to go through some of the exercises, at least. And you have a, a 13-step exercise for choosing your purpose. Talk about how that works. The exercises I call it is to have them paint their brain so that they can actually see for themselves what has happened in the future. Similarly to a GPS. With a GPS, you put in an address. And once you put in the address, the GPS will take you there. Mm-hmm. And it knows it got there. Now, if you put in somewhere, it really has it has no idea where to go. And the brain works the same way, that once you start seeing where it is that you want to be, um, feeling how good you're going to sense yourself once you've gotten it, and hear yourself, because let's face it, uh, very successful people sound very differently from people who are not. And so once people have the capacity to see, hear, and feel themselves once they have a success in the future, well, the brain starts looking for it to make it happen. And sure, you may not know exactly what to do, but because your brain has a destination, it will look through the world to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And, and that ties into something in, in a, the, the subsequent chapter about uh, great big pictures of things that are feared can be easily replaced by great big pictures of things you want instead. That's right. Uh, you know, one of the things I discovered while I was golfing is that practicing in the right way was the most important thing because, let's face it, a lot of golfers who golf for decades never improve or sometimes they even get worse. And it's because they're not practicing or playing in a way that promotes their success on the golf course. And what I realized was that with every bad shot that I took, instead of getting upset about it and angry about it or stressed about it, um, I would replay the shot the way that I wanted it to, shrink down the size of the bad shot, but then magnify a wonderful shot in its place so that this way, whatever future shot I had, the resources were there instead of me getting upset. Mm-hmm. And so basically it works the same in life. You can shrink down these fears that are irrational, of course, because I never want someone to um, lose a fear that is going to maintain their safety. Right. Like you need to be afraid of someone who's walking in a dark alley who just looks like a shady character. Right. You need to just go in the opposite direction and protect yourself. But it's it's those fears uh, of not leaving your home. Uh, You know, I mean, we need to live our daily lives. But if you instead imagining yourself, instead of imagining yourself being hurt when you leave your home, but instead you imagine yourself having a good time at work or with your friends well, that's such a different pace. And then making big pictures of that so that your brain has a destination to go to. Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned that about golf. I, I, there was another pro golfer that said basically the same thing. If he hooks or slices or drives into the rough or into a trap, a sand trap, uh, that he imagines the shot going well and thinks about that the next time he takes that shot. So, And that's the most important thing you can do because uh, – it, it's just playing, you know, these mental tricks with your brain because 
Your brain doesn't know the difference between what it sees, what's imagined, and what it does. It perceives it as all the same. So if you imagine something differently about something that didn't go well, it will remember what did go well. Mm -hmm. Another point you make in the book is that a lot of people come to you with with what they don't want instead of what they do want. And that sort of sidetracks what you truly want sometimes. (laughs) Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, when people say, I don't want to be poor... I don't want to be fat. Well, that's just saying to your brain, poor and fat. It doesn't hear thin and rich. Uh, You know, so instead of saying what you don't want, when you say, you know, I want to be wealthy in all areas of my life. I I want to um, uh, be attractive and and lose some weight and and feel better overall. That's really setting a, a destination for your brain to do the types of things necessary to actually get it done. Mm-hmm. And in that chapter about what you want versus what you don't want, you have an exercise about getting what you want. And this this, this one worked better for me. I don't know if I was not on the bus or what, but <laughs> when I was going through this, I, I, I really uh, appreciated you know, asking myself the questions about what I want and whether it will have a positive impact and is it worth making the change and creating an image of myself. And I, I felt like that was a, a very helpful thing uh, an exercise that people ought to go through. Uh, yes. Uh, go ahead. Uh, yes, and I'm, I'm glad it, it, uh, you liked that one because it's one of the most simplest techniques uh, yet so powerful because, you know, it's one asking yourself what you don't want instead of what you don't want. So when you know what you do want, uh, it's a lot clearer. Uh, and is it going to have a positive influence on all aspects of your life? Like whatever decision you make, uh, to take the promotion at work? Is it going to increase the intimacy with your parents, your, your, your spouse, or your, your kids? Um, is it going to have a negative effect? And if it's going to have a negative effect, is, is that really a, a good thing or not? Um, and then is it in your control to make a change? Uh, you know, asking for raises in your control, but actually getting it is in someone else's control. But instead, you could start a business after work uh, or go to school after work. Sure, it's going to be difficult for a couple of years, but um, in the end, you'll get over the hump and, and you'll have a new career. Uh, and lastly, being able to see, hear, and feel what it is that you're going to sense after you've actually gotten what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, it, it sets a, a, a place for your, your brain to go and do things in order to get you there. Mm-hmm. Now, here's one I didn't do as well. You talk about spinning the feelings, and uh, I want you to uh, tell us a little bit about why this is part of the NLP technology. What, is it, what, is, what does it do to spin your feelings? Right. So um, this takes uh, some awareness. It, it definitely takes being in a, in a place where you can actually pay attention to your feelings. And so when people have a bad feeling, this is what I generally take them through. I say, which direction is it going in? Is it tumbling forward, backward, clockwise, or counterclockwise? And um, generally, they, they can sense the direction. And whatever direction it's in, I have them spin it even faster in that direction, just for a few seconds. And what it does is take them through a threshold point. It actually gets a little worse. Uh, but then I have them pause the feeling, slow it down, bring it to a pause, and spin it in the, action, the opposite direction. And if you spin it in the opposite direction, uh, it actually 
loses the charge. The feeling dissipates. It decreases. And so it's a really simple way to make yourself feel better very quickly when you need to. Mm -hmm. So the big deal to me in in all of this is the next part, and that is the size and distance discussion. our fears get really big. My, my particular phobia I tried to play with, I, I didn't understand. You know, I, I realize that, that a lot of people have irrational fears, and I look at some of them and I go, how can you be afraid of that? You know, <laughs> clowns, spiders, snakes. Um, but, but the fear I have of heights is very real, and I often have panic attacks with it. So let's talk about uh, uh, size and distance in relation to shrinking your fears. Okay, and um, I'm going to do that, but then I'd love to address the height thing, um, because when it comes to size and distance, most of the time when people have an irrational fear, uh, it's huge. It's bigger than life inside their mind, and it's up close, like it's in their face, literally. And so if, if something was in your face, just in real life, you probably wouldn't feel very comfortable. And so people are doing with this with the ideas inside their minds. It's up close and, and huge. And so what I have them do is shrink it down to the size of a penny or a cell phone screen. And what that does is the size of the pictures inside people's minds has a visceral effect. The smaller they are, the less impact they're going to have. The bigger they are and up close, the more of an effect they are. Um, and now, when it comes to heights, let me ask you this, John. Do you have an easy time getting up in the morning? Yes. Okay. That doesn't surprise me um, because um, you can see yourself getting up out of bed very quickly. And so I, I bet you have a great capacity to visualize things. And so you having a fear of heights doesn't surprise me um, because let's put it this way. When you think of the height, do you see yourself staying there calmly or doing something otherwise. <laughs> it's 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 almost uh, like a panic attack. Like sometimes I can't catch my breath. It happens uh, at the top of tall buildings when I go to look out on a city. It happens in uh, elevated uh, uh, interchanges on uh, two, where two expressways meet, and you're on the fourth highest, you know, the highest level, four levels up. Uh, there's sometimes when I think I can't get over a tall bridge without uh, breathing. You know, it just it, it's uh, various locations that and it's really difficult in those moments right okay so i'm just going to mark out one word you used in terms of over the bridge mm-hmm. because most people i know who would drive over a bridge would terrify them too ah. but what if instead you perceived it as driving across the bridge ah. right mm-hmm. uh, which puts you in a different position on the bridge right one is on top one is along it right mm-hmm. um so if you can start seeing yourself driving across the bridge safely from one end to the other, because that's what they're designed to do, is stay intact. They're very solid structures. They're engineered and they're architected to keep people very safe to go from one place to the other. But it doesn't matter how many times I say that to you. But once you start looking at yourself driving calmly across the bridge, um, uh, letting everybody else do what they need to do on the bridge, but you driving safely and feeling comfortable, maybe even turning on some relaxing music so that you start even breathing rhythmically to, to uh, let's say, some nice country music or, or some classical music where the rhythm is very consistent and, and maintains a, a, a nice rhythmic breathing, believe it or not. Um, 
uh, and then additionally, uh, with the height, um, let me ask you this. How do you know when to be afraid? It, it comes and goes, like you mentioned uh, uh, with most fears. There are times when I'm just fine, and there's other times when I... For instance, I took my parents to a, a lighthouse so that we could look out on the beach uh, near where I live, and um, I just I couldn't look. <laughs> so, right. So, well, let's put it this way: At what point did you know not to look? Like, what went through your head? I'm not sure. I think I think it's it, it always comes with breath. I think when I have the fear, the, the first thing that happens is that I have trouble uh, breathing out. You know, you mentioned that in the book too. Right, that's right. And so, one, that's the first thing I'd recommend is just start breathing rhythmically. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then see yourself enjoying the view. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because the, the view is going to be there, the lighthouse is going to be there, everything's quite stationary in that moment. The only thing moving is you towards the edge, right? Mm-hmm. But you could easily stand back from the edge one or two feet, which I think everybody feels comfortable in that position. Mm-hmm. You know, just standing a foot or two from the edge, knowing you're safe, feeling calm, breathing in, taking in the beautiful scenery, enjoying it with the people you're with. Mm-hmm. You know, even taking a moment to imagine yourself before you even get there, to put yourself in the right state of mind, the state of consciousness, to put you in the right consciousness while you're there. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay, I'll work on that. Um, in the exercise to, sh- to shrink down your fears, you talk about blinking at black and then blinking at white, and I'm not really sure I understand that part. Right. So, I mean, let's put it this way. After I have people shrink down the, the irrational fear, um, I have them blink at black and white because then it changes, it changes the thought pattern. And it decreases the charge. Because let's put it this way, your neurons are designed to go from one to the next to the next, and they go from beginning to end to form a thought pattern inside your brain, literally. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if let's say you were watching a movie, and you're watching a movie, and then suddenly it, it starts going gray, and it starts blinking white, and it starts blinking black, well, you tell me, can you actually understand the movie? No. No, right? No. Does it, it starts not making sense. And so it, it's really sort of the same thing that happens inside the brain. It breaks the pattern of the movie that's being played inside of people's minds. So when you blink it white, you blink it black, and you blink it white, but it has to be done very quickly because the brain learns very quickly. And so by doing it that way, it breaks the pattern of thought so that you can build in a new pattern, which is the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. So that once you blink it black and white, you can then clear your mind and then build in how you'd rather be standing at the edge, mm-hmm. calmly, comfortably. Very good. Let's touch on one more topic, reversing the charge. What, what exactly is that? Right. So, you know, after I have people shrink down the fear, I have them go to the very end of the movie, um, of the memory, and reverse it so that all the sounds rewind, all the movements go backwards. Um, you know, I'm sure you've, you've tapped on the rewind button on your TV, and everything goes backwards, right? Mm-hmm. And again, can you really understand what's going on when you rewind it? Of course not. No, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what happens is one neuron knows to go to the next by charge, and they 
and the bigger the part, the bigger the neuron. And so the smaller the neuron, the smaller the charge. So when you reverse the memory, it actually, they lose their charge. They become smaller, start to pattern differently, so that however it is that you felt about it, you feel differently. Mm-hmm. Because let's face it, we know that thinking takes place inside the brain, okay? If, you took, if, if they took out the brain, there would be no more thinking, right? Your toes, you can take off a toe, you still think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking takes place in the brain, and that's part of your central nervous system, and it's connected to your entire body. And where it's charged in the brain, it sends a charge throughout the body. That's what feeling is all about. So when you change the pattern of, and reverse it, it changes the charge, therefore changes how people feel. Mm-hmm. And I want to come back to laughing because in the chapter about changing your future now, you talk about an exercise of thinking of your fear, and after you're shrinking it, uh, at some point you continue laughing about it. And, of course, laughter releases a, a positive hormone, oxy, oxytocin, and uh, that enhances the brain's neuroplasticity to reshape your thoughts. Well, what it, what it does is it, it gives you the capacity to know the difference. Uh, you can laugh about at a party where, that's being handled by a professional. Uh, you know, I bring in, uh, there was a, a demonstration I did once with tarantula, and uh, I guided the person through the process, got them to laugh about it when the tarantula was in, in their presence, actually, they were okay with it. Uh, knowing that the handler was doing his job and, and that type of tarantula was completely safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you get people to start laughing about things like that, it, it just creates flexibility inside the brain. So they know when to run and when to laugh. Very good. Okay. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We've been talking with Calliope Barlis. The book is Phobia Relief, From Fear to Freedom. It's a good read, it's an easy read, and I think you would enjoy it. Um, I'm your host, Dr. John Cook. If you don't hear our regularly scheduled broadcast on your public radio station, I remind you that we can also be caught up with on YouTube at Good Books Radio, Strong and Cook. Thanks for listening, and make it a great day.